Psalm 103. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like the flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The word of the Lord. Father, this is an astounding psalm. We thank you for it. Lord, may you now tune our hearts to sing this blessed song. Teach it to us in the inward parts so that, like the psalm, it would be expressed throughout this world. Lord, help us by your spirit to see Jesus here. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 103 is staggering praise from start to finish. It's personalized praise. It's eternal praise. It's gospel praise. It's full of gospel truth. It's been memorialized time and time again in hymns penned by great writers in church history. It's as high as praise gets in the Psalter. The twins of 103 and 104 together are considered by many the heart of all the Psalter. Psalm 102, though, starts in a darker place. I'm just going to read a bit of it. 
Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me, answer me speedily in the day when I call, for my days pass away like smoke and my bones are like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. Psalm 102 certainly presents an answer to to that quandary. And then Psalm 103 comes along and says, Now here, here is what it looks like to turn all that you are, broken sinner, redeemed by God, to him in praise. The basic plot is not that hard to catch. Bless the Lord because he's holy, righteous, just, merciful, gracious. He is our satisfaction, righteousness, salvation, redeemer, healer, teacher, established king who rules over all. Like so many of the good hymns that we know, this one comes in four stanzas. The first being that of self-talk. We'll talk about that in just a second. From self-talk, he he goes a step deeper into our memory, encouraging us to remember. Then, even more important, in the third stanza, he turns to God's memory and says his memory, God's memory, really matters. And then it ends, where it begins with this self-talk, it ends with a cosmic call, where all creation, angels, ministers, Blessing the name of the Lord. We'll start with self-talk. I love the contrast between this psalm that we're taking up today and Psalm 95 that we had last week. Three times in three verses, six times last week, we hear this resounding us, 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 which is great. It's a corporate call to worship. It's what God demands of us. But this week we have a different pronoun in use. My, me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. It's opening with a call to to praise, to, to bless God, but this is not directed at us. This isn't a congregational or corporate call to praise God. This is the psalmist, David, talking to himself. Praise the Lord. I wonder what we say to ourselves. Um, just self-talk. What is, that, what is that like for you? Some in here are like, I, I don't do that. And maybe you don't. Maybe you're not introspective at all. But I think to some degree, every one of us understands what it is to, to kind of have this inner dialogue with, with our lives. We think about things. We think about and wonder about ourselves. I love the way this comes in and and kind of interrupts that inward dialogue and says, this is what you should say to yourself. We need to be reminded time and time again. Hearts turn to the Lord in praise. Consider the vastness of God. Forget not all his benefits. And then he just goes on to list them. 
This is the self-talk. This is what we're to remind ourselves about. He forgives all your iniquity. The first place he goes is forgiveness. Let this be a challenge to that inward voice of yours. When you think about who you are and who God is, think about his forgiveness. He forgives all your iniquities. David's need for forgiveness was acute. So is ours. David was a big sinner, and so are we. He knows that he must have forgiveness, and then when he considers on the inside who he is before God, he considers the greatness of God's forgiveness, who heals all your diseases. Here he backs away, and he looks at the whole scope of God's salvation. Not only will he forgive iniquity before him, he is the great healer. He will ultimately restore us physically. And we know that David felt and knew acutely what he's writing because he he sees that that doesn't always happen in this plane, in this life, the way that we want it to. He had had the devastating loss of sons, even an infant. Even in the midst of that heartbreak, he's reminding his, his own soul of this reality. God is the healer. And one day he's going to make all things right. Who redeems your life from the pit? This word pit has many meanings. Destruction, the dungeon, a hole, decay. He takes us out. What an incredible picture of exactly what Christ has done for us. Child of God, can you say, He has redeemed me from the pit. Thinking through this, I thought about Joseph. You remember his story? Literally tossed into a pit by his brothers. And along come slave traders. Who would have looked at that situation and said, your life is being redeemed? But that's exactly what God was doing. This is exactly what he's giving praise for right now. This is exactly what he's telling himself in his mind. You redeemed my life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Not only does God snatch us out, but this this praise, this blessing inwardly extends to all that we are. We are full of God's covenant love. That's what steadfast love is all about. God's covenant mercy and kindness to us. He has crowned us with that. He satisfies us with good so that our youth is renewed like the eagles from the pit of destruction until the whole person is satisfied and strengthened by God himself. He renews us. This beginning business about forgetting not all his benefits, it's because we're prone to forget. We're prone not to remind ourselves like the psalmist, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Yeah, that's fine and good for a church service, that's fine and good for the us, but what about the me? What about the inward person? What about my heart? 
reading through this extensive list, we have to consider the great wonder of salvation. That's why we had a look at Romans chapter 8. It's beautiful. It's, a, it's an incredible chapter in God's word. Here, he's, Paul backs out in that chapter and he looks at all creation groaning together in the pains of childbirth, he says, until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We groan inwardly. And we even have the first fruits of the Spirit. We eagerly await adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, the psalmist is tying those things together. Forgiveness for iniquity, but also redemption of everything that's wrong with us. Completely changed, completely healed. Paul talks about this in terms of hope. Something that is not seen, but believed in and relied upon. He says, in this hope, we wait for it with patience. Listen, as we gather to, together to worship God in this corporate way, we do so as broken people. People wrestling with all kinds of difficulties in our lives, in our jobs, with our bodies, with our minds, with our habits. We come together as whole people, broken. Child of God, forget not all his benefits. Psalmist and Paul agree salvation is vast. It encompasses body and soul together, redeemed by God and waiting for it with patience. So what is your self-talk? What do you tell yourself is important? Here's what the psalmist is doing. He's saying, preach to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Every single one of us are called to be gospel proclaimers. And the first audience of that proclamation is ourselves. One commentator put it like this, Come on, soul, where are you? Why do you sleep before this God? Why are you dull and sluggish? Wake up, look at what God has done. Look at what he's like, end quote. I think that's exactly what this psalm is doing. Come on, soul, wake up. first person that is to encourage the heart of the believer is the believer. How do you expect to ever have anything to offer other people if you aren't being filled up with this yourself? The first way that the psalmist encourages us to proclaim the gospel to ourselves is to remember. Remember. 6 through 13, that's what he's doing. Remember God is a gracious father, even to his sinful children. The psalmist here looks back and remembers Moses and the people of Israel. He takes a highlighter to the character of God, compassion, mercy, grace, justice. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. This is what we need. 
We need a sovereign king who looks on the oppressed, on, on the one in bondage, and says, I'm not content with you there. I'm coming to snatch you out. You're mine. How do we know that this is the character of God? We remember what he has done. We look back at what God has done in redemptive history where God introduces himself to his people. This is where we hear this, uh, this merciful and gracious God. In verse 7 and 8, he made his ways known to Moses. This is where his compassion, his justice is on display. He's coming to get the tyrants, Pharaoh, and all the people who would oppress his children. He's coming to wipe them out. He's coming to snatch his kids away. Verses 7 and 8, he made those ways known, his acts to the people. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's the Lord's introduction of himself in Exodus 33 and 34. Do you remember that? Who is this incredible God that he has done incredible things for us? God, show me yourself. Okay. Sticks him in the, the cleft of the rock. Do you remember it? It's beautiful. He doesn't let him see his face. He sees his back. And as he passes, that's the introduction that he gets. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is exactly what the psalmist is saying to his own heart. Remember who God is. Remember what he is like. There's some disparity going on in here as well. This sovereign Lord, the King, is gracious and compassionate, but he's also fully just and fully righteous. How do we put those things together? I think all throughout the Old Testament, again and again and again, they're looking ahead to see where these two things collide. They see examples of it in the sacrificial system, reminding themselves of their own guilt and need for atonement, and then one day, one would come along. The Lamb of God, the very Son of God who perfectly collapsed love and justice, compassion and righteousness. He's remembering truth. Reminding his soul of truth. Reminding himself of salvation in God. Think of all the things he, he could be thinking. He could, he could be thinking about anything in Israel's history. The liberation from death by the blood of a lamb. People in slavery brought out by the mighty arm of God. Baptism in the Red Sea. Remembering meeting God at Sinai, remembering the tabernacle where they have access to God, remembering the temple, child of God. Do you remember these great things? Do you tell yourself your own Exodus story? I've heard many of you tell them to me. Sometimes you need to tell it to yourself. Remember what God has snatched you out of. Remember that you were the oppressed and God got you out. Do you remember your exodus in Jesus Christ? Your liberation 
from the slave market of sin by the death and the blood of the Lamb who came to take away the sin of the world? Do you remember your baptism? Your receiving God's word who spoke by the prophets, but then in the last days through his son? Your access to the Father through Christ by the power of the Spirit? Do you remind yourself of these things? Further remembering what God has done, the psalmist said he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever, nor does he deal with our sin us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. What a lesson to remind ourselves of. He is not like us. That is good news. We are prone to carry a grudge. We'll remember a, a slight done to us years ago. And we'll hold on to it. We'll think about it in our head. No, I don't trust that person. They, they wronged me. The psalmist is saying, remind yourself that he doesn't treat you the way you treat others. Remind yourself that he is not interacting with you in the same way that you interact sinfully with other people. He's not like you. He's not looking to repay us according to our iniquity. What an astounding reality that the very Son of God would take our place. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What an incredible reality to remember. He's not like us. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He uses three images to convey the vastness of this reality to his own heart. It's really, really big. It's so huge. As high as the heavens are above the earth. is that? Come on, somebody from your physics background, think about, give me, is there some answer to that? That's the vastness of the love of God for you. You ever talk to yourself like that? Again, we're back to last week. I think we have this problem with awe where, where we don't consider th these images that are being spelled out for us. Is it real that we could actually be loved like this? Steadfast love of God is abundant. It will never, ever run out. The second image is that of width as far as the east is from the west. One compass point going one direction, the other compass point going the other. Not only is God's love abundant, but his forgiveness is decisive. He forgives. You and I tend to deal with others like this. Yeah, I'll forgive you, but I'm going to kind of set your sin like right here. It's going to be real close to me. 
right? I'm not going to completely forget. I'm not going to remove it that far. It's not going to be like compass needles. And he says, God is different than us. Your sin removed. And the last image, which I think dominates kind of the landscape of where he's going, is the image of a father showing compassion to his children. This is the kind of love that the father has. Compassion on his children. As parents, we know and see so many of our faults. We see them We see them clearly in dealing with our children. When we see our children sin, we sometimes get really frustrated, primarily because it makes us look bad. And their sin tends to echo our sin. Again, this is all of us, and yet God has compassion as a father to his children. Think of Luke 15. What an incredible story. The son who wanders away, squandering his inheritance, losing everything, eating pods, pig food. And he finally returns, just wanting a, a little bit. I can, anything at my father's house will be better than pig slot back there. And he goes, right? The father has every right to say, hey, you squandered everything. I don't want to see you. Scram, get out of here, kid. What does the father do? Runs to him. Flies to him. Grabs his son. Embraces him. Clothes him. Throws a feast for him. Did he deserve it? No, that is sheer compassion. That is God's compassion as a father to his son. That's where he's pointing us. Again, God is not like us. We're no longer slaves, but we are sons and heirs of God in Christ. He has compassion. Remember, when you're preaching this to yourself, Remember to think of these images, how vast God's love is. It's as high as the heavens. How much does God really forgive me as far as the east is from the west? What kind of compassion is this? Is this cold and distant, like some accounting rule? No. As a father shows compassion to his children, what an incredible sermon. What an incredible thing we are invited to preach to ourselves. Not only do we remember these things, but beautifully, and I think more importantly, God remembers. God remembers. We're to remember all these things about the love of God. But he goes on, for, it says, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower from the field. But the wind passes over it and it's gone. Its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Isn't that great? We're called to remember all these things and we should. We should preach the gospel to ourselves. What does God remember? He remembers what we're like. 
He knows that we are frail. He knows that we are dust. He remembers that we're dust. He remembers creating us. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. We may be self-deceived. We may think we're actually worth more than we are. God knows exactly who we are. He came to us in our frailty. Put these two sides together. Our memory of these great things of God and his memory of us. He knows that we are dust. He remembers. We are frail. Our time here is limited. It may seem like a long time to us, but our whole lives lived before God are very, very short. Like grass, like the flower in the field, the sun strikes it, it dies, and its place forgets that it was even there. It's gone. Jesus amps up this same ante on flowers and grass in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? And he ends with this. Oh, you have little faith. It's God who gives us worth. God who gives us value. He's going to go on to tell us of all these fleeting things, he's the only one who remains forever. Everything is going to change. What a season to hear that. Listen, COVID is closer and closer to every single one of us in the room. With, we've known people who've been seriously sick. Many of us in this room have known people who died. Listen, and if the Lord tarries, that's all of us. What's lasting? The steadfast love of the Lord. God remembers that we are temporal. He loves us in our weakness. Will we believe that? Will we trust him? I hear Jesus' sermon to me, O oh, ye of little faith. Look at the flowers. See how beautiful. Am I not that gracious towards you? Are you not worth more than that to me? We're finite, and yet look how far God's loving kindness extends his righteousness to children's children. Two realities here, our salvation and status with God is sure. We are found in him without a righteousness of our own, but one granted to us by Christ and two, God's covenant extends beyond us. It goes even to our children who raise them knowing this God teaching them the faith. So if we're weak and we're frail and God remembers we're dust, where do we get meaning in this life? 
think he's already told us. It's the sermon we're to be preaching. The greatness of God, his steadfast love, the incredible reality of Christ for us. That's our motive for obedience. The frame David gives here for fearing God and obedience is that of a loving father to his children. That's how this whole section gets framed. God loves his kids. Then you hear a call to solidarity and obedience. There's two ways that we could approach God. His slaves or his kids. There's no comparison. David says, you're, you're a child. Act like it. This is key in our Christian lives. What compels us to obey God? What compels us to desire to have a heart like his lived out on earth? He says it's your father's love. That's what will do the trick. His grace. Because as children of God, we have utterly seen his compassion. And we're invited to live in reality of that. So have we seen God's compassion and grace in Christ? Have you seen that? Have you received that compassion? It's the only motive, really, that's going to stick. Our psalm began very small. Bless the Lord, O my soul. But it ends very big with this cosmic call in verses 19 through 22. It backs that focus all the way up. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O my soul, little call, tiny call, self-talk, vast call, the king seated on his throne, ruling and reigning over all the earth. It's huge. This is the gospel trajectory, by the way. It's like a mustard seed. It's tiny. It starts small in us and then grows and grows and grows. Soon it covers the earth. It's like the Great Commission. It can't be stopped. The psalmist again calls for blessing or praising the Lord. But now it's not just his soul. Now it's not inward self-talk. Now this is outward praise. But listen, bless the Lord, you his angels. All the earth is called to bless the Lord with the angels. You his mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. There's a martial quality to this. His hosts, literally his armies, are called to, to bless him. He does what he wants in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and all is called to give him praise. Not just humans. Not just you and me in Grace Chapel on a Sunday morning. The whole world 
called to praise this God. All creation being invited to bless God. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Humans, angels, powerful warriors. Everyone in between. Worship him. Look at how big it is. All. All his hosts. All his works. All the places who do the will of God. Again, what began as this tiny little call to self proclaiming truth to self ends with vast praise. God is to be worshipped by our self-talk. God is to be worshipped as we remind ourselves of his character. And what's going to help us is knowing that he remembers exactly what we're like. He knows our frame, remembers that we are dust. And that can't help but spill out. Listen, this is, again, the trajectory of the gospel. Us being filled up with it and that going out to our neighbor, to their neighbor, to every corner of this globe. Christ in us. Tiny, individual, clinging to by faith but the hope of glory, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for the invitation that we see in it to join in cosmic praise, remembering who you are and what you have done. We thank you this morning for Jesus, our great King and Savior, the one who perfectly lived, sacrificed himself in our place, conquered death and glorious resurrection. Give us hearts to believe. May we preach this good news to our own hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen.